Hello and welcome to a Taylor's Tales podcast. This is Chris's Corner. I'm your host, Chris Taylor, and welcome back to a brand new episode. This week, I'm talking about how Studio Ghibli changed the animation industry forever. And I'm using those words specifically because I genuinely don't think we would have the amazing animation that we have today, or the amazing storytelling, I should say, really, in the animation film industry without the creation of the fantastic studio that is and was Studio Ghibli. Studio Ghibli was created in 1985 with the founders of Hayao Miyazaki, uh, I think it was Toshiro Suzuki, and then you've got Isao Takahata. Sorry, he was incidentally another film director as well as Hayao Miyazaki. Hayao Miyazaki is the guy who's well known for directing the most successful Studio Ghibli films in the Studio Ghibli sort of franchise house, uh, studio, whatever you want to put it as, the umbrella of the the main films that would be created under there. And some of my favourites specifically... Because I rewatched them recently. So this is why I'm making this video because I wanted to bring a highlight of why we are where we are with this amazing animation that we get nowadays. And it's kind of a little bit underappreciated. We've got so many new series with Chainsaw Man being a highlight at the moment, Bleach coming back and being in this amazingly beautifully animated show that's just, you know, just completely come back and blown everyone away with how it's been styled and we wouldn't have these amazing shows or how they're done without the foundation being created back in the 80s and the beauty of Studio Ghibli is that they did it with the drawing now I'm not somebody who's got a background in animation and I can't tell you how things are animated in a very specific way but what I can tell you is how to understand a good story and how understanding how the beauty and the picturesque ways of the animation that are done make that story and how we can look into these stories and gain a little bit of a message like an English teacher in an A-level trying to find every specific thing within that sentence that's going to come out and be like what's the meaning behind this no we're not going to do that at all but what we can do is just get some basic understanding of the films and I'm going to put some clips throughout this video that I hope you'll enjoy that are going to really reference that these messages but also some of my favorites just coming in there We're going to start with one of the earlier films, and that would be uh, Nausicaa's Valley of the Wind. Probably one of my, like, you know, out of all of them, of the favourites that I have, it's probably one of the purest. It's the earliest of the films that we're going to be talking about, and it's also something that's quite simplistic. You've got the idea of a peaceful valley in a post-apocalyptic world where nature has overtaken the world, and from a human being's perspective you'd be thinking that that would be necessarily a negative thing but the truth is is that the whole point of this film and something that Hayao Miyazaki has continued to put throughout his films as nature isn't the enemy it's actually this idea that we have to live within it and we have to live with it rather than try to attack it or try to break it down so that it lives within our environment but rather the other way around where we live within nature's environment again Kind of, uh, kind of a silly thing, but you'll see in a couple of the scenes of Norsker, the Valley of the Wind, where they try to burn uh, parts of the spores that get sort of infecting their forest, uh, and the idea is actually that 
yes, the spores are negative in some ways, that, that there's negative parts of nature, but there's also some really positive parts in the sense that you've got the wind, the natural wind of the sea and the ocean are protecting the valley, the people from these spores. So you've got different parts of nature that can work with humans and they utilize the wind within the show, which you'll see, in, in how they utilize it for power. So they have windmills and that will create their food. And then they have this idea that they're not going to attack nature. They're just literally going to live within the valley and every now and then go out and explore into the toxic wasteland to be able to find certain materials to be able to keep them going, to sustain life rather than to expand upon it. While they've got other human uh, tribes within the film that uh, try to expand rather than just live within, and these are shown negatively throughout the film. You actually see that they blow each other up almost in the sense that they want to grow more power. And it is a nice little reference to how society today is this constantly needing to expand, this needing to um, needing to be more, needing everything. You'll find in your everyday life, if you come back to this film, you'll realise how much simplicity is actually the, the human sort of condition and how we've gone so far as that we need a new phone every now and then, we need a new phone every year, we need this, we need that. And actually the truth is if you look into the, these films, that the happier the character is, the, the more likely they are to be in a simplistic lifestyle. It's very uh, quite a beautiful Japanese heritage sort of thing for, for Miyazaki, I think. He was raised in the countryside uh, for part of his childhood and bringing this into the films, this idea of this scenic uh, beauty that's consistently shown throughout the films. That, to me, is probably part of the reason why I love them. You'll see in the, my favourites, that it, there's that connection with nature. Now, I've been lucky enough where I've been able to travel and see stuff and actually realise that he was right. The most beautiful things on this earth are the things that we work with nature rather than working against it. And while the metropolises of New York really do inspire me in other ways, I do think that some of the more beautiful natural places on earth are just as inspiring for different reasons. And I think of New Zealand immediately when it comes to my mind. Uh, and I also, I'm looking forward to seeing Japan as well as a natural place where it's got this natural beauty. Even England for many of the, the you know, I was growing up in the green fields of England. And you have to remember that as we expand as a human race, it can feel like we are uh, building more gray and uh, stone than we are having this greenery that's around us. So. Yes, I'm getting off topic a little bit, so let's back back into the films. Another one, Princess Mononoke. Uh, I recently watched this. This is what got me into this video again, was this idea of fighting against nature. The whole concept of this film is that this boy is infected by a demon spirit, and he has to leave his tribe behind to be able to find a cure from the, the spirit of the forest and he's hoping that the spirit will be able to cleanse him of this curse that he's got. But what he realizes as he goes along the way, it's actually him helping the spirit and also helping his friends and Princess Mononoke, the, the character, in creating this boundary between humanity and the forest and nature itself. You'll find that in the film that nature's fighting against humanity because they keep on trying to destroy it 
for its resources. It's kind of funny is that if you look at the original Avatar, one of the key concepts there is also shown in the sense that there's this huge uranium uh, repository within the tree where the avatars live and they are the human beings are just trying to crush their way through to be able to obtain that natural resource that they're trying to use. Very much almost like a reference to today where we're, use, we're drilling into the earth to be able to get all of the oil from it. Again, the references back to the actual humanity, but if we look at uh, when Hayao Miyazaki made these films, it was very much before uh, the greenhouse gases and nature and recycling was even a thing. He was saying these, creating these films and messages back in the 80s and the 90s, very early on. So you have to think, how did this man know? I think deep down we all knew what we were doing in the first place. He just wanted to be able to put it out there within these films to be able to maybe also think that yes they were made for children as well as adults and while there is a lot of you know childish themes in certain of his films i think there's also an adult nature to them in many ways so we've also got spirited away the academy award winning which to me not necessarily the best of the films in my opinion lowly opinion you may disagree that's fine but what you can say is this, is that it was an acclamation of the greatness that was Studio Ghibli and Hayao Miyazaki. If it wasn't going to be Spirited Away, it was going to be House Moving Castle. If it wasn't going to be House Moving Castle, it was going to be Ponyo. If it wasn't going to be Ponyo, it was going to be uh, The Wind Rises. At some point, the Academy was going to be have to acknowledge the brilliance, the genius of Studio Ghibli. And it was only at this point that you realise that, yes, they were finally going to be able to give him this award for the first ever foreign animation to be able to receive this prestigious award. But as we got older, we realised that the Oscars is a little bit more, shall we say, showy-showy and, and less telly-telly <laughs> of, of the reality of high-quality film and a little bit more like politics in other ways. But nonetheless, Spirited Away, to me, is almost a message to say to you that you have to sometimes have an empty cup to be able to uh, enter the world of the spirits. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm, I'm thinking to myself about the parents who become pigs in the film. They become pigs by their need and want to take into the very basic instincts of human beings, but also it's the child who realises that something's wrong, something isn't right. And it's also the idea that the child can also go into, you know, into the spirited world and learn something. Jihiro is then turned from a child into an adult. She learns, she starts to work. And we all, at some point in our lives, have had to do part-time jobs, do a paper round, any of these things, to be able to enter the, into these worlds. And it's fascinating to me to see that within, when she becomes Sen, she becomes a dichotomy of herself. She's no longer the child. She has to take responsibility for her parents and therefore go out and earn the respect of her colleagues around her, but also be able to work within the spirited world and find her way out. And all the while this is happening, some beautiful music is going on, some beautiful animation of many characters, the beautiful uh, ideas of these spirits who can be all shapes and sizes and they all work within this one bathhouse. All for this almost Baba Yaga kind of character. Baba Yaga, Baba Yaga. Um, sorry, had to do that. It's just, it's just a force of habit. Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga. 
point uh, being is that she sorry she sen who's that the cat's mother sen has to work her way to be able to realize that the baddie isn't as bad as she she makes it out to be but rather that she's discovering that inside you understand who your parents are but also understand what they did wrong and what she has to do right to be able to find her way back into the real world and out of the spirit world there's so many things in that one of my favorite things that i'm going to put a clip in is the train driving along the water it's a beautiful idea and i've, I've seen it uh, reproduced in makoto shinkai's five centimeters per second with the train along the snow it's a very kind of scenic beautiful imagery of watching it glide upon the water and there's nothing else but the sky and the water and the train three ob three elements to it that you the listener will see right now and think to yourself this beautiful ocean-like scene that you can't truly there's nothing like it I don't know out there if there's a train that's ever been along the water like it or if it's been as calm and beautiful and scenic and also add to the story that the world is connected but also divided by these great watered landscape so yeah Spirited Away has many elements to it uh, some beautiful music, some beautiful animation, lots of different characters, but also having an underlying story to realize that actually being able to accept your inner child and to understand that you don't know everything and that you can learn something is the main thing. And and not just un thinking that you know everything, because this is the beginning, is that the reason why the parents, you know, think um, they become pigs is because they already think they know everything because they're leading Sen or Chihiro into this trap. And that's what I got from it. Maybe you got something different. I hope you did. Tell me below, really. Like, it's it's exciting stuff for me because I love these films and I know for a fact that other people out there love them just as much as I do. And there's a, when it comes to passion... You can't really take that away from anybody. So we're, we're just here. It's just here for kick, shits and giggles. Shits and giggles. Just here for fun. Moving on to Howl's Moving Castle. Of course, 2004. Great year. Great acting cast. I think the voices of this film would be brilliant. This is in the English dub, of course, rather than the original Japanese translation. But in the English dub, you had Christian Bale uh, providing the voice of Howl. And at the time, he was off so many films. So having him within this film as the main voice for how uh, the magician, the wizard, the uh, sorcerer, it, it, it's incredible to see him take up this mantle. Within animation films, you don't normally have these big paid roles. And so it was really nice to actually see uh, some of them. I also think there's a couple of other actors I'm missing off the top of my head who are also in this film. Sorry, I can't give you the names off the top of my head. But what I can tell you is that it's funny when you look back at the IMDb page of the amount of people that who have gone on to have great careers come out of some of these films. 
Again, Studio Ghibli at the time didn't were, were beginning to get some sort of budget. When you look at the Nausicaa Valley of the Wind, and if you look into even Princess Mononoke, they didn't really have the big-named, big actors. So to see it in Howl's Moving Castle, uh, and later on when I talk about The Wind Rises, there's also some more well-known named actors because they're having this. And I don't think it necessarily takes anything away from the films. I think it adds a little bit of element to it in some ways. We've also got, uh, within Howl's Moving Castle, just even more beautiful background scenery. Now, we don't actually have nature as an element in terms of a character this time. We have it as, an, as a background element. It's always there, because we always see whether we're in a German-like town, uh, where we have, you know, Howl moving around, and we find that he's... <sighs> I'm trying to remember the the late the girl's name, so I'm going to do a little bit of research here. Two seconds while we're while you're waiting, but I can't remember the, her name off the top of my head, and it will kill me if I don't know it. And I know you, the viewer, screaming it at me right, you, the vis knowing it right now. But so let's look it up. How's Moving Castle? Do 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 do. There we go. Right. Give me the name. I can feel it on the top of my tongue. You know, you know when you can feel the the name of Sophie. Of course, it is. What am I doing? What am I thinking? So Sophie is the original character who's turned into a old lady because of the horrible witch, who turns out isn't that horrible in the end. I, I genuinely do think that some of the amazing elements about Studio Ghibli is that it turns out that for every bad guy and every good guy they're not always as bad or as good as they make out to be. And I think that's kind of a beautiful thing done by Hayao Miyazaki is that actually when it comes down to it, not everyone's, you know, the shell or the outside or the first appearance you see when you get to know them. And this is something that I think is really meaningful in terms of how all of humanity should see we always have a bad guy there's always the nazis the the communists the, the so and so there's always someone to blame and yes there's pure there's pure evil people out there but i think something that studio ghibli does very well is he makes and sorry hayamaz like he makes these characters understandable and sometimes you need that when it comes down to these sort of animated films that they're not necessarily just black and white bam 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 you know his good guy, his bad guy. Oh, oh, yeah, that's it. You know, there's some complexity to the films. And I do like that because we get nowadays, if we look at some of the main things coming out of the cinema, we've got the Avengers, we've got, you know, the just some of, some of the really basic filmmaking. There's not really anything that's testing the audience, that's really keeping us on our toes. I think this is why YouTube's blown up so much, because we actually take each other seriously for once. We actually have something where we care about the viewer, the listener. We care what you think. We care that our product is going to be good, and it's not going to treat you like a dullard. <laughs> we're going to be thinking that you're as smart as us, and that we're also going to be thinking that you're going to be contesting some of the things you say. And this is what I loved about Studio Ghibli. Studio Ghibli really actually treated its audience with a little bit of respect and focused in on not just saying that anger and hatred are going to solve everything. It's actually quite the opposite. They said that the destructive part of the world, in all of the films of these films, you look in Howl's Movie Castle where you think that the Wicked Witch is going to be able to take back Howl's heart immediately and by forcing her way he'll love her. 
And that's the idea, is like this force. And then you also find in Princess Mononoke, where the Iron Town try to force their way into nature to be able to obtain the resources. Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind, the two, uh, I think it's Tahemian? No, something army. Sorry, the Tomikians and the other named army that I can't remember try and force their way into be able to building giants to be able to take back the planet. You can't force. The only way in these films for you to win was actually kindness and relatability and being able to work within nature or work within society or work with each other and work within your tribes and work together. It's... Something that I don't know how many films really have that and have a theme that are going to make us all realize that the truth is is that we don't we're not that different from one another. There's not really that much difference. And to me, that's kind of beautiful, isn't it? You know? Even if they, these films are made in a Japanese society, they're relatable to the West. They're relatable to the East, and they're fantastically absorbed by all, both child, man, woman, whatever. And that, to me, is why they're so well-watched. Well because they take everything, not by surface level, but by there's a little bit of depth to people, and that we're not too different. And I think this is even shown in The Wind Rises. One of my personal favourites, by the way. Not everyone loved The Wind Rises, but I did. It really showed me a mixture between a man's dream and love. And when you fall in love, how even when you truly love somebody, your dream can actually be a negative sometimes. You'll see with the two main characters that when he's trying to be able to put his plane together, it can come into conflict with his love life and that sometimes he had to let his love go in order to be able to achieve his dream and by chasing the dream it cost cost him everything but you know sometimes that if you want to achieve something you're willing to give everything and it's this beautiful dichotomy of both love and dreams that come together and i love the use of airplanes these beautiful, beautiful, you know, they're not seen as war machines in this film when they're made by the designer, but they become war machines because of the war, because of World War II that's portrayed in this film. It doesn't necessarily say World War II, by the way. There's like an element, there's almost like it's in the background, kind of haze, like a haze. And some of the guys who are just the fighters, I love how Hayao Miyazaki depicts the guys who are the, the war machine of japan they're not intelligent they're kind of made to look kind of silly kind of you know boneheaded and that they're just doing it and that they're their client and that there's not necessarily a uh, how should you say a thought being put out there for what they're buying and what they're trying to achieve and there's this common thing said throughout the film of japan's going to blow up it's going to blow itself up and that's what's continuously said by one of the second characters. I can't remember his, his name again. Again, I'm, I'm glad we've got IMDb on page right now because if I wasn't going and searching these things up, you'd be like, Chris, come on, think it through, man. You need to be able to come up with these things off the top of your head. Uh, but The Wind Rises has so many different characters in it and 
I haven't watched it in a while. I probably should have watched it before I made this podcast, but that's fine. Uh, if you made it this far into the podcast, good on you, number one. Uh, number two is that you're now seeing where the, the true research comes in and where you're getting the, the nitty-gritty types of things. There we go. The wind rises. And I must know their names because otherwise it will haunt me. Jihiro, the main character. Honjo, that was it. That's Honjo is the one who says the world is going to blow up. And in their case, it's going to be uh, Japan because they're fighting alongside the Nazis and they're fighting against the rest of the world. And it's this idea that the technology within Japan has to continuously catch up. But it's actually that Jihiro works with nature to be able to achieve his dream of a perfect airplane, working with the elements that he does have, working with the people that he has within him and his team, and at the same time having his wife, who sadly passes away from, I think it was pneumonia within the film. And this idea that you have to sacrifice everything to be able to achieve a dream in this case. I do think that Miyazaki is almost referencing himself in this because Studio Ghibli was everything for him. And the films took a lot out of him. If you look at the filmmaking elements behind it and how long it took him and all the hours and the days and the drawing and the incessant over and over and over and over again to be able to get these films done, the documentaries behind them are quite beautiful in themselves. And so that, to me, is true greatness from him, being able to show behind the scenes what it really takes to be as great as he is. And, for that matter, Studio Ghibli. So we've talked about my favourite films and we've talked about some of the the amazing things that make these films. What, what did they ex- inspire afterwards? Well, for me, the two main directors who I think of immediately are Makoto Shinkai and Ma- Maso- Maruma Hosoda. Thank you. I always just know him as Hosoda. He's always Hosoda to me for some reason. <laughs> so is it. But Shinkai could be the exact same. Shinkai creating some of my favourite animated films of all time as well with Garden of Words, with five centimetres per second, Your Name, and many more on that side of things as well. You've also got on Hosoda, Wolf Children, a beautiful film put together there. The Boy and the Beast, you've got The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, you've got Summer Wars, and many more. These directors also utilise the background. They're less, it's less present. Nature is less present in some of these films, but it's nonetheless, you know, any less potent in terms of the background element of nature. We look into five centimetres per second and Garden of Words and your name for that matter, the background imaging. It's just, I use it in my lo-fi, for instance, because it's so beautiful, unique, and gives us such a, just a different way of looking at the world. And then within her soda, it's almost this animation that takes you into a different world. These animals that become real human beings with the facial construction that they use and how they make the biting, the sounds, the gnawing, the the movement of the jaw of some of the animals, it makes them realise like how much similar they are to, to the reality of humans and how in wolf children they make that combination between the the boy who becomes a wolf and how he is, his body language chooses to be more of a wolf and the girl becoming more of a human. It's beautiful in that sort of ways. 
And so these films still rely upon this idea as well, if you look in all of them, is that actually there's no forcing anything, there's actually this beauty. There's almost a, a loneliness within Shinkai and a group element within Hosoda. And I think they take both of those elements from Studio Ghibli and they bring them into their films. Their films are actually a little bit less childlike and a little bit more adult friendly, or teenage friendly I should say. They have very much got an element to that in their films and maybe that's the difference between Shinkai and Hasoda to Studio Ghibli and the directors there. And so my thought behind all of these films was that there's something we can take for them. We need to remember that these films bring us joy and happiness and they bring us a sense of just being in a different world and I hope you feel the same way in the sense that we're not re-watching these films or watching them for the first time trying to be able to go back to a different time or escape the world we're trying to re-watch them again to be able to accept and adore the beauty that is done by these directors because we're not escaping we are just entering someone else's dream. And someone has given up everything for that dream to be able to be a reality for you or a visual reality. So, ending it there, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the gratification for the studio that changed the entire animation industry forever, Studio Ghibli. This has been the Taylor's Tales podcast. This has been Chris's Corner. I've been your host, Chris Taylor. And as always, I hope to see you this time next week. Bye now.